Hello, you're listening to an episode of Trade Talks, a podcast about the economics of trade policy. I am Samaya Keynes, the US Economics and Trade Editor for The Economist. And I'm Chad Bown, a senior fellow with the Peterson Institute for International Economics. This episode was supposed to be about China. Or maybe about NAFTA. But there has been a lot of news this week, so we have done what is known as a pivot. So we'll be talking about steel and aluminium tariffs and the law and economics of retaliation. The usual disclaimer applies, a lot of stuff is happening right now, if you really want to keep up to date with the news, you should look at the news. But here we are. So to recap what just happened, in April of 2017, the Trump administration initiated an investigation into whether steel imports were threatening American national security. A couple days later, they started a second investigation into aluminum. And if you want to know more about all of those national security threats, listen to episode 24 with Jennifer Hillman. But in summary, it's really hard to see how imports of steel and aluminum really are a threat to American national security when we're buying most of these imports from American allies. These investigations, the reports that the Trump administration published, they found that imports were a threat. And the Department of Commerce made recommendations to the president. So there were three options for a tariff of 7.7% on aluminium and 24% on steel, a quota, or a mixture of the two. So some countries might get slightly harsher treatment and others would be, relatively speaking, let off the hook. So in March, when President Trump started rolling out what he was going to do, it looked like he was going to choose the option of harsher treatment on certain countries, but treating more leniently a host of others. So countries like China, Russia, Japan, they would face tariffs, but the major suppliers of steel and aluminum into the U.S. market, so the Canadians, the Europeans, and even Mexico, they got exemptions. Also countries like Australia, Argentina, Brazil, South Korea, they got exemptions too. And, and the idea was that the Trump administration hadn't decided that they weren't a security threat. They had just given them the opportunity to prove that they weren't a security threat by negotiating some kind of deal. So the first deadline for a deal was May the 1st, and then that was extended to June the 1st. But it looked like the Trump administration wanted trade concessions in exchange for dropping this threat of tariffs. President Trump clearly wants the European Union to lower their tariffs on automobiles, or for the EU to agree to some sort of voluntary export restraint for these steel and aluminum products. But the EU doesn't really work like that. And so in the weeks leading up to this June 1st deadline, it began to look increasingly like the European Union was actually going to be hit by these tariffs. So that was the European Union. For Mexico and Canada, the Trump administration had said that their continued exemptions were dependent on them agreeing a new NAFTA, a new North American Free Trade Agreement. And as the June 1st deadline loomed, the talks to renegotiate NAFTA went on. They seemed to be making progress, and then talks seemed to stop. And it became clear that they weren't going to get a deal by June 1st. It turns out that in the days preceding that deadline... Justin Trudeau offered a meeting with President Trump to wrap everything up, but he was told that as a precondition for meeting, Canada would have to set a sunset clause on the deal, so NAFTA would expire every five years or so. And this was clearly a Canadian red line, and so Justin Trudeau refused, and from the Mexican side, it's really unclear so far what has happened at that point. But the point is, negotiations just stopped, 
And so on the morning of May 31st, word arrived in my inbox to say that Mexico, Canada and the European Union would face these tariffs. So that the European Union would be hit was less of a surprise, but that Mexico and Canada, members of the North American Free Trade Agreement, this regional integrated economic area, the fact that they were hit, that was a big surprise. And so now where we are is we've got a 25% US tariff on a lot of steel. This is going to apply to about 80% of America's steel imports in 2017, a 10% tariff on a lot of imports of aluminum, so about 95% of U.S. imports of aluminum from around the world in 2017. We're talking about a lot of tariffs. It's worth noting that the steel and aluminium that doesn't get hit by tariffs, most of that is still going to be hit by quotas or voluntary export restraints. So it's not going to be easy to get steel from Argentina, Brazil, or South Korea, there are still trade restrictions in place, and they could be even more difficult for companies to manage than the tariff. For aluminium, similarly, Argentina has a quota, and so getting aluminium from there could be tricky. So the one country that does seem to have done very well on all of this is Australia. So at the moment, according to the official instructions from the Customs and Border Protection, so this is the U.S. agency that actually collects the duties at the border, tells the importers that they're close to filling up the quota, U.S. imports of steel from Australia are not subject to tariffs or quotas. Now, the story behind this is we don't quite know. It may be that Greg Norman, this golfer who is friends with President Trump, could have helped out. The Sydney Morning Herald has said that he apparently wrote a note to President Trump asking for Australia to be spared from the tariffs and quotas. It's also, though, important to point out that Australia is a tiny player here. It's only 1% of U.S. steel and aluminum imports, so maybe President Trump just thought it wouldn't matter. However Trump's decision was made, there's a question of how tightly it was linked to the Commerce Department's recommendations. And remember that the Commerce Department's recommendations were very restrictive. They thought that imports would fall by around a third as a result of its recommendations. Okay, so we've had some trade restrictions in place since March, and the price of steel has risen. American producers have been raising their prices, the price of aluminium has gone up too, and for those producers, those higher prices are nice, they're they're very pleasant, as long as your costs haven't also gone up, and, and that is part of the story in the aluminium industry. And so there are still some people in the United States who are supporting these tariffs, But it is really striking how little support these tariffs now have. The United Steelworkers Union came out against them this week. This is the union that represents a lot of the American steel and aluminum workers. And this is important because back in February, when Secretary Ross first put out the Section 232 reports, they had issued a statement that said that they, quote, laud the Commerce Department's report, looking for the president to take bold action. But now that President Trump has taken bold action, the new statement that they released this week expressed, quote, profound disappointment with his tariffs. So apparently they think his tariffs are too bold. And one of the reasons here is because their definition of bold meant that Canada shouldn't be applied to the tariffs. And that's because this union also represents a lot of the Canadian steel and aluminum workers, and they're likely to be hurt by these new tariffs. So obviously the other group who is fairly upset by these tariffs are the businesses who are using the metal that has gone up in price. So the Beer Institute is very concerned that the price of the aluminium that it uses to make cans has got more expensive. 
Uh, and yesterday I spoke to PJ Thompson, who's the president and COO of Transmatic, which makes precision metal parts. So he runs a relatively small company, and, and each year he would buy around $13 million of steel, mostly from the US. But sometimes he has to buy specialty steel from Europe, so he said that he is supplying a German company, and they require in their specifications that he use a certain kind of steel that he can only get in Finland. And so with this 25% tariff, he was saying that the price of the steel that he buys in America has gone up, but also he doesn't have any option but to buy this finished steel. He was saying that if he tried to pass on the cost to his buyer, they would just source the component from elsewhere, like in Germany. So he'd also said that he had operations in China and Mexico, and I asked him why he didn't just, you know, change his operations and make the part there and then import the part. And he said that all his parts had to go through a certification process. And practically speaking, his supplier would just prefer to get the part from somewhere else rather than go through the whole process. And I was also asking him about the fact that well, don't metal prices go up and down all the time? Isn't this just a risk of doing business? He was saying that the problem is that prices are going up for him, but not his competitors in other countries. So he was just one person I spoke to. He ran a small and medium-sized enterprise in Michigan, but he's not going to be the only one finding this to be a problem. We're going to see this ripple through the economy. Some will be able to pass the price increase on to their customers. Others won't. In 2002, when the price of steel went up last time President Bush raised tariffs on steel, he, I think, did manage to pass on the cost to his customers, but it sounds like he's sceptical that he'll be able to this time. And if he can't, there's going to be a policy that he can blame, these tariffs. And so there's a lot of people in America right now that are very annoyed by these tariffs, but it also turns out there's a lot of people outside the United States that are getting upset as well. And they're so upset, they're beginning to launch challenges at the World Trade Organization. And they're retaliating with tariffs. So we have six American trading partners that have already notified the WTO that they're going to treat President Trump's tariffs not as these national security tariffs, but as safeguard tariffs. And they're making the claim that under the safeguards agreement, they're due compensation almost immediately. So they can retaliate basically at levels equivalent to the amount of trade that are being hit by President Trump's tariffs. And so that's the approach that the European Union, Japan, Russia, India, Turkey, China, countries like that are taking. Canada and Mexico are also saying that they're going to retaliate, but Canada at least has said that they're going to do so under their rights under the NAFTA agreement. Now, if the Trump administration perceives that this is something wrong with the NAFTA, then it's interesting uh, to see how this could play out with the NAFTA negotiations. I think... Referring to NAFTA to say that we can we can hit back is, is unlikely to go down well with the Trump administration. Okay, so let's talk briefly about the countries that are actually going to be retaliating and how much they're retaliating over. And we'll go, I guess, in increasing order of the amount of trade being affected. So Turkey is going to retaliate over $1.7 billion of U.S. exports. That includes a lot of coal and coke products. Japan, about $2 billion. They haven't really said what products they're going to hit. China, we already know all about. They've already started retaliating over $2.4 billion worth of U.S. exports on aluminum, pork. This is the fruits, nuts, ginseng. Russia, it's about $3 billion for them, we think. They weren't entirely clear about this. They basically just said to the WTO, we'll let you know when you need to know. And then India has a lot of U.S. exports that it's going to hit, about $10 billion worth of agricultural products. 
Now, the main difference for India, though, is it's not necessarily imposing 25, 50% tariffs. A lot of these products, it's just going to hit with a slightly higher tariff of, say, 5%. The EU has set out fairly clearly what it plans to do, although Cecilia Malmström on June 1st said that some of the lists were still up for discussion. Uh, But it looks like they're going to hit with tariffs on $3.2 billion of U.S. exports now and then $3.8 billion later. So the biggest response looks to be from the Canadians. So they've made a list that adds up to around $12.8 billion worth of US exports. They've got this big product list. The big products are steel, aluminium. We've also got some ketchup, some yogurt, some soy sauce. For Mexico, they've promised tariffs on around $3 billion of US exports. We haven't yet seen their official list, but a government statement said it would include steel, lamps, pork, sausages, apples, grapes, blueberries, and cheeses. And so if you add that up, in terms of this immediate retaliation, you get about $38 billion of U.S. exports that are going to be hit with new tariffs from trading partners. Combine that with President Trump's tariffs and quotas covering about $48 billion worth of U.S. imports, and all of a sudden we have about 2% of U.S. imports and about 2.5% of U.S. exports all of a sudden facing new tariffs. So let's talk about these lists of tariffs and how one might pick those lists. So when we were thinking about this, maybe there's a few basic principles here. So one, I think there's a sense that you want to try to hit the American interests that are actually benefiting from President Trump's tariffs in the first place. Perhaps the idea there is if you impose some pain on the same groups that are benefiting from those tariffs, perhaps you can get them to go back to President Trump and convince them to take them off. And of course, it might be different companies who are exporting than the ones who are producing in the U.S. and and benefiting from these higher prices. But we are seeing lots of countries do exactly that. So China, Canada, the EU, Mexico, they're all retaliating with tariffs on steel and aluminium. But at the same time, when you're doing this, you also have to keep in mind your consumer interests. And you don't want to pick products that are ultimately going to hurt them too badly. So you want to try to pick products where there are maybe some close substitutes available for them. The EU has been trying to do that. So they have been consulting on their list. There was an earlier list that was leaked and then they've published a more recent one. And and you can see they've already removed some products where there weren't closely available substitutes. So uh, cranberry juice, airplane parts, some lipstick, they've all been purged from the list. The other thing that you might think about is that you don't want to make your own producers less competitive. Just as I was saying before about PJ Thompson worrying about his competitors who weren't facing more expensive inputs. So that might push you towards putting tariffs on final goods rather than, uh, you know, inputs that businesses are using. And then another thing you might begin to think about is how to try to work the politics in America. So maybe try to pick products that inflict pain on particular American politicians. And when doing that, maybe you want to put tariffs on things that the Americans would struggle to sell anywhere else. You might want to put tariffs on products made in politically sensitive states or districts to convince voters, maybe around some kind of election. There are U.S. midterms coming up. Right, but that's where things get really tricky here at the moment. The link between party politics and trade policy in the United States right now is really unclear. But it wouldn't seem completely crazy to target the leadership of parties on the legislative side. So 
You might try to hit the districts of people like Mitch McConnell in the Senate, Paul Ryan and Nancy Pelosi in the House of Representatives, which could explain why Kentucky bourbon keeps on showing up on these retaliation lists. I should say that the Mexicans are fairly confident about their ability to use this process as political leverage. There have been some pretty high-profile examples in the past where, you know, they put tariffs on Christmas trees and, and got an end to a trucking dispute. They think that they're really good at this and therefore they'll just repeat it. So Mexico, Canada, the Europeans, they do all have experience retaliating against the United States uh, and trying to get these policies to change. So maybe, but the American politics is just a real mess right now. So we'll have to wait and see. So another factor that may come into these discussions about what products to retaliate over is governments look around and ask, well, who wants protection? So in one of our other disputes, this U.S.-China battle over the forced technology transfer, the one where President Trump has drawn up a list of $50 billion worth of imports from China that he wants to hit with new tariffs. There was recently a public hearing in which companies were supposed to come forward and ask to have their products taken off the list. Well, what happened in the hearings were a number of companies actually came forward and asked for their products to be put on the list, that they didn't want to face competition from China. Jack Corporal at Inside U.S. Trade actually went to the hearings and reported that a number of American companies had asked for additional products like fence posts, stainless steel forks, soft-faced plywood, all this stuff from China that wasn't on President Trump's original list also be added to this retaliation list. So in Canada, the EU, Mexico, all these other countries, if you're a company that would quite fancy some protection from some American products, today could be a lucky day. Okay, so I think the next question is... What next? Right. So is this all going to work? I think however clever your tariffs are, we also have to point out that these things are going to hurt. They're actually going to impose costs on the countries that are imposing them. The other big question is, of course, how President Donald Trump will respond as all these retaliatory tariffs come in. There's a question of whether the global rules-based system of trade will survive or if it will just descend into a, you know, eat for their own America escalating with tariffs. You know, it, it for now looks like cooperation in other areas is continuing. So while all of this tariff business was going on, you have this US, EU, Japan joint statement in Paris saying that they're going to coordinate to tackle uh, intellectual property theft um, of the World Trade Organization. So maybe the world is less on the brink than than some people think. Then there's the question of what kind of domestic pressure Trump is going to face to get rid of these. What does this do to American politics? In the steel and aluminum tariffs under this law, there is no timeline for the removal of these things. Unlike other types of policies, these things will stay on until President Trump makes the decision to actually get rid of them. So a lot of time that these tariffs could still be on, a lot of questions, and a lot more episodes of Trade Talks. So I think that is all for this week. Thank you to our listeners. Please don't forget to send us feedback and episode ideas. Read our articles. Follow us on Twitter. I'm at Samaya Keynes. And I'm at Chad Bown. And we're on at trade underscore underscore talks. That's not one but two underscores. At trade underscore underscore talks. So we had someone on Twitter saying that there were too many dad jokes in at trade underscore underscore talks. So why don't we do a poll? No more double underscore jokes or should we continue them? <laughs>